This is Client Side from Fox Agency. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about! Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Tim Bond is the head of Insight at the DMA. He is an experienced research and insight professional with a background in social science and over 12 years of experience in communications, data, marketing, and technology, a proven track record of planning, executing, and delivering tactical insight and research projects. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Tim Bond, welcome to Client Side. Thanks, Nathan. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely fascinating to have you on the show. You get your MA in sociology from Aberdeen University in 2007. You don't see that many people in marketing with a social sciences background. What perspective does sociology bring to your marketing career? Well, yeah, I, th- I think you kind of hit on a, an interesting thing there in, in itself that I think social scientists are are kind of uh, almost bred and certainly educated to uh, to be in marketing and understand people. So I think for me, it's always given me the perspective of trying to understand the drivers behind um, people's behaviours and, and the choices they make, which across all the roles I've had has always kind of helped me to then formulate, um, you know, strategy and, and things like that based on um, on evidence that we can see or, or at least kind of base in some kind of um, process or, or fact where possible. Hmm. We'll we'll come back to that a little bit later in the uh, in the conversation because it's something that I'm really fascinated by as well. Um, but you've worked with many notable agencies and brands over your career. Tell us a little bit about how you got started in the world of media and marketing. Yeah, so so to be honest, I um, I had no real idea at university what I wanted to do um, <laughs> between my my sociology degree and um, and sat down with my dad, who's actually a, a chartered accountant by trade. And he um, has always worked with Marcom's companies. Uh, so basically so asked me some questions about, you know, what, what I like doing um, mm-hmm. and what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and basically said, Marcom's is the way to go, Tim. Um, and, and thankfully, he was, he was right, to be honest. Mm. We sat down and looked at the kind of um, top 50, you know, uh, PR agencies, ad agencies, marketing agencies. Um, and he kind of made a judgment on, you know, which ones he thought um, and was aware that, that had kind of good graduate schemes. And mm. literally, that's where we started. I had a he we ended up from that edit of, uh, of you know, anywhere from, I think, 20 to 30 agencies that were all kind of mid sized. And mm. and I started the process of harassing them all uh, as much as possible <laughs> during a, during a, an economic downturn to give me a job, um, which, which eventually happened. 2000. 2008 2008 2009 that sort of time Sometimes, yeah. uh, uh so what what made him think that marcoms was was the the place to go for a young a young graduate i mean you look at finance you look at um economic roles with economics roles with uh backgrounds in computer science maybe there are many other sort of career journeys what made him what attracted him to the marcoms world yeah, well, I, I guess for him in particular, he he's a finance guy who's um, I think just um, frankly ended up with it. Um, but he also has always been quite interested, um, certainly for as long as I've been alive, in kind of marketing um, and advertising at, at the broader mm-hmm. level as well, and, and how um, how businesses can influence people um, and, and you know gain custom. Um, it's mm. almost a, a finance director who actually cares about marketing, which is uh, <laughs> rare in itself. Rarity. But, um, but for, for me, when we kind of talked about, okay, what do I want to do? I said that I, you know, I, I like talking to people. Um, I like, you know, building relationships and working together. Um, but I also like the, the 
the things that sociology has taught me um, and you know actually trying to understand people at scale as well um, and how you might influence them and what the drivers of those things are so um, mm. you know with those two mixtures it was immediately kind of agency um, you know mm. agency is a good place where you can meet clients and, and make those relationships as well as team sure. relationships um, but also then he, he was a big believer in you know if you're going to go into that space starting in agency is is the place really to, to start if you can because you just mm. get to experience loads of different sectors um, and it was a credit actually to, to my first uh, my first job at Hotwire um, that I uh, they were quite open in um, in where you sat within their structure. So they were still technology focused because I've always been a mm-hmm. software geek as well. Um, mm-hmm. But but I kind of started in their media and marketing team, um, uh, but had some other clients in other spaces. Um, you know, so as as a geek, I had some consumer tech clients as well. Uh, but I'm I'm probably not a uh, a consumer PR or marketing person. Um, right. I'm, I've always been a bit more B two B, just with how uh, how I think of things. Um, although for the research side, um, I'm kind of a bit more mixed. But the mm. yeah the the media and marketing team was just kind of where I settled and and where I naturally um, had a lot of interest as well because they deal a lot with with all of the things that I say I, I brought from my sociology background. Um, really kind of interested me with actually how they put those into practice for for businesses across, um, you know, clients like Experian Marketing Services Group and, you know, the the, the data that they're um, able to use to help businesses understand their customers better, um, mm. right the way through to, you know, some of the processing companies um, and, and companies who build the infrastructure behind, um, you know, uh, behind some of the great brands that we know. So, you know, I've, I've worked for companies who... Um, the lay person has never heard of uh, sure. least of all now because they've all been acquired by other people as well <laughs> but um but but they underpinned you know the website infrastructure for sure. you know, some of the some of the first brands that, that really kind of launched online um and without these companies that nobody's ever heard of you know mm. they, those online experiences wouldn't really exist as they are today right the way through to to more recently some of the some of the companies um around kind of online reviews and, and user generated content as well um, you know, so it's so a Revu. Um, I, I've sure. done some work more recently with with the guys at FIFO as well. Um, sure. Yeah, really. I'm, I've always been interested in that. Um, yeah, in that kind of how brands develop those experiences um, that customers actually want as well. So even my B two B side has a bit of a consumer hat on. We will come back to that a little bit later in the in the show as well. Let, let's talk a little bit about your agency experience. You've held several positions with Hotwire PR, a really well regarded PR firm. Tell us a little bit about your time with the agency and what did you take away from that experience? Yeah, so like, like I said, I, I, I find in hindsight, um, you know, I was I was really lucky to, to start where I did. Um, you know, I, I was able to develop very much at my own speed. There was no kind of, um, you know, that you're... Uh, you're you're making tea for a year um none none of that kind of feel um but they 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 also gave me the opportunity to understand the different sectors that i might be interested in so you know although they're technology focused like i said um you're able to kind of really experience um some different areas and um and find what's the best fit for you um which i think as i say i I was lucky that i started in the team that was the best fit but um the i think the other thing is is the leadership um, I can't say enough for, for the founders of, of Hotwire um, in Kristen and, and Anthony, um, both kind of uh, just just really good people um, and, and led by example, um, genuinely. Uh, and I think when um, when they moved on, it was, um, you know, the, the leadership that took over was, was still really good. 
Um, but when they when they kind of moved on, it was definitely a, a big shift for that agency. Um, I still know some of the team there, um, the leadership team there now, and, and they're still great. But I think as somebody who got to experience Kristen and Anthony um, at the height of their success and, and you know, mm. before the acquisition, um, they uh, yeah they they were just fantastic people who who really cared about their people as well. Um, and I think that that's something that I I hold very dear to me, um, the way that they treated me and. And then I, I hope I pass on to, to anyone who's kind of worked in, in any of my teams as well. That mm. um, I think it's that personal connection that, um, yeah, that, that builds teams that, that really are able to succeed. Really interesting. Fast, fast forward a few years and you're now the head of Inf- Insight for the DMA. What does the head of Insight for the DMA do? Yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot every day. Um, right. So it's, it's, it's really exciting. I, I, I love my role because um, no two days are the same, um, which is sort of what I wanted um, when I came into when I came out of university in the first place. You know, um, doing the same thing over and over is uh, I don't think anybody's uh, or certainly a, a very niche person's cup of tea. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I can do anything. So we um, we do a lot of in-house research um, that, that we conduct ourselves, me, me and my team, um, which is there to to really help our industry understand. Um, the the key trends um, that that are affecting it. So, for example, at the moment, we've, um, over the last couple of months, we've launched a a tracker for our industry and how it's dealing with the coronavirus, Um, you know, looking at um, some of the key concerns, um, some of the key issues around kind of furloughing and and potentially uh, potential redundancies that that are having to be made, um, Mm -hmm. as well as kind of impacts on um, business as usual and, and revenues. But also, more importantly, for us, understanding what we need to do as the DMA to uh, to lobby government and, and make sure that the the right things are in place. Um, so you know that helped us to to understand that with the DM Trust, a, a charity arm um, that's, uh, that that we have a, a close historic relationship with, uh, we came up with the DM Trust Home Learning Fund, which was a fund of um, co-funded um, between us and, and the IDM, our, our training arm, to offer a whole bunch of training to people who had either been made redundant or, or were furloughed as, as part of the current crisis, um, to, to give them that opportunity to advance themselves, even in these hard times, um, to, to hopefully then go on to find um, you know, their, their new roles and, and progress their careers um, when, when, uh, when some kind of normalcy returns, whatever that looks like. So, so that's just one bit. The other thing is you know, doing things like this or, or events, speaking about, um, about the DMA and about the, the insight that we see. Um, we also have projects that we do with, with other research companies. So um, one of our, our long-standing research partners is Foresight Factory. Um, and we'll often do kind of co-events with them where we're talking about the, the trends of the future um, and what we see there. They're very much a, a consumer-facing face, um, mm-hmm. research house. Um, so, so we're able to get a lot of insight from them. Um, right the way through to, to helping, you know, our own marketing and, and communications teams um, with, you know, uh, with content and with, with insight um, where possible, um, and even actually, just just later today, I have a catch up with one of the teams about um, about setting up uh, more kind of surveys that can be used for um, for our learning division, um, the IDM, um, that could be, potentially be used for for kind of bigger corporate clients, you know, to understand the the current and future needs of of their workforce at scale. So actually, using insight to to inform our own products um, and offerings as well. So very well, varied. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
just a little bit. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about those trends and insights that you're focusing on right now. You mentioned COVID-19 and how the industry is responding. Um, there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of people that have been a lot of brands and agencies that have been significantly affected by COVID COVID nineteen. It just it seems as though we're slowly seeing a little bit of, re- of recovery. There are potentially green shoots out there right now. What's what are the things that are most topical or top of mind to the members of the DMA that you're speaking to? And what are the things that brands are really struggling with right now as it relates to COVID-19? So I think the the big thing is just um, is just being able to to keep running um, and, and keep the doors open. I think that's a big concern for for a lot of certainly agencies and and suppliers um, and keeping their keeping their staff in place. Um, you know, we, we are um, a people industry at the end of the day. Um, so that that's a big concern for a lot. Um, I think when we start to think about actually the marketing and, and the work that we do and, and ultimately um, the customers, I think the big shifts we've seen are um, are ensuring that um, that the services and, and products that people have on offer um, are are usable. Frankly, um, you know, we've seen um, anyone who says that we can't innovate at speed, um, I think will be pointed to, to this period. Um, sure. And and called into question for forever more, um, because mm-hmm. we've seen fundamentally some massive changes from brands. Um, you know, even to uh, you know big, um, you know big FMTG companies who never had a, a direct to consumer offering, um, mm. launching direct to consumer offerings in weeks. Um, and albeit they may not be perfect, and they may need you know evolution as as they go. Sure. Um, but I think that belief that um, that actually we can innovate at speed and we can make changes and sure. potentially a little bit more of that be willing to um, to to change and, and potentially break stuff um, mm-hmm. as long as you're able to change quick enough to then fix it again. Obviously, um, mm-hmm. I think that could be one of the big changes. Um, I think the other the other will be um, just just what the new what the world looks like after this. Um, there's a lot of discussion at the moment about, um, you know, what the new normal is. And, you know, I'm, I'm sat at home right now, as I have been for three months in front of my laptop, um, mm-hmm. working uh, every every day. But uh, but do I think that's going to be the new normal? Frankly, no. Um, and anyone who um, 100% commits to what they think the new normal is going to be, I think, uh, will, will probably be found out to be wrong more than they are right. Really interesting. Um, I think that there's a natural regression back to the behaviours that we think, um, and those kinds of behaviours shift over time. Um, yes, this is an unprecedented event, and I think there may be a, a couple of things that do change. I hope one of them is, um, you know, the the openness to to home working that that we've seen over this time, and the the kind of um, hopefully the the belief that actually just because we're working from home doesn't mean doesn't mean we need to to kind of perform working from home. So you know, sending. Um, sending emails at, at eight and eight and eight thirty, and then making sure that we're, you know, sure. sending another one at six, so that everyone knows that we're still, you know, still right. working. Actually, that that um, I think human human understanding I think has changed. Um, hopefully, we'll, we'll stick around, but um, I think we'll we'll have to wait and see. To be honest, um, you know, come back to me in a year, and I'll I'd far rather tell you what what has changed than what I think will change. Sure, sure. Uh, I don't expect you to have a crystal ball. None <laughs> of us. Let's do no, do right now. Especially not right now. 
especially not right now. Uh, you spoke recently about the consumer email tracker uh, at one of the uh, recent DMA events, looking at what consumers want. That's the million dollar question, isn't it? What, what's the answer to that question? What do consumers want? Um, honestly, more more relevance is is the biggest thing, and it's, that's been a long standing challenge um, for for our industry. Which actually, the industry, when we do that equivalent that equivalent survey to, to marketers as well, um, they, they agree that they're not sending enough relevant email, which is kind of a damning indictment in in some ways. Um, the from the consumer perspective, I w- I understand that it's it's hard to define what that relevance is. Um, but I think you know the, the fact that marketers agree implies to me that that there's definitely wiggle room for, for for marketers to improve. So I think it's it's making sure that when they're sending an email, there's a purpose to it, um, mm-hmm. and that it's not just kind of really getting away from this batch and blast or, or, or sending for the sake of sending, um, because mm-hmm. there are there are also a myriad of other ways of of engaging them that that might be more effective. Um, so actually looking at um, I think email is central channel around which a multi-channel strategy should should and and can be built Um, so whether that's involving you know uh, offline channels or or, or face-to-face I think um, the big thing for me is is that integration piece Um, understanding customers how they want to be contacted and what what best is going to engage them Um, and then actually delivering that content how where and when um, within reason uh, people people are able to as well. Mm, really interesting. Your your recent research says that 37% of the British population listen to podcasts at least monthly. Uh, brands are investing so much in, in podcasting right now. You look at platforms like Spotify, TuneIn and SoundCloud that are also investing uh, significant significantly in podcasting. Do you think this podcasting thing is really going to take off? Mm. I, th- I think it already has to be to be honest um I think that 37 percent figure you mentioned is actually um is actually offcom data as well so it's not just out mm. we, we, we mentioned it in a in a future trend of ours um which is around podcasting and I think podcasting to me is um I'm, I'm old enough to have grown up listening to radio 4 throughout my university career because <laughs> I'm that kind of person but um mm. it's it's the evolution of that of that medium um, in that it is about um, the, the personal connection. And I think the key things we see in our research around podcasting is is the trust that people have in the people that sure. they're listening to. Um, now, that also translates into trust in the advertising that they hear um, and the marketing that they hear within it as well. So that means an opportunity for brands. So anyone that isn't taking notice of, of this as an opportunity and as a channel, I think, should do. That doesn't mean that brand every brand and their son has to has to launch a podcast. You know, you can support ones in interest groups that that mm. are natural to you. So, you know, I'm I'm a keen cyclist, so I um, I hear from a lot of cycling brands who support the various podcasts that I listen to in that space. Mm. Um, but but I also hear from other brands in there, which is always I always find it as somebody in the industry really interesting to hear. Okay, oh that's that's interesting. Why have they chosen to advertise? through this um, through this medium to a cycling audience um, sure. and actually what you know that's where it almost comes back to that that previous point I made about understanding your customers and where you might be able to to excite and engage them um, and actually going back to this idea of contextual as well um, and a return to a, a potentially a slight steer away from kind of maybe some of the real-time bidding and you know, trying to get them at that perfect moment with that perfect mm. message. And, you know, yes, those things are still important um, and timing is important. But rather than getting down to the second, why not pull back a bit 
and actually look at the context of how you're of how you're marketing and actually place your marketing in an audience the way you might find new people that you didn't know would be interested in your in your brand sure um, you know and and i think um i think podcasting is is an area um, that is that is really interesting for that kind of space because you can pick an audience really that are, that are drilled down to a topic you know um be that so because there's a podcast for everything these days as well as i'm finding now that i'm i've, I've recently switched to spotify and um, other podcast services are available uh, but, but <laughs> their, their, their discovery engine is throwing up all, all kinds of things for me that i'm, I'm really kind of, interesting I'm, actually ha- I'm having to stop myself from subscribing to more because they just aren't <laughs> enough hours in the day they're on yeah it's it's the niches where the opportunity is like the the big niches have pretty much been been taken as uh, sort of all uh, sort of new mediums did in the early days email etc um but it's really the niches where i think the opportunity is for podcasting and especially as you say the trust angle which i think is really interesting because you're literally going into people's brains mm. while they're cycling washing up hoovering and all the rest of it it's a really exciting time for podcasting right now mm. let's talk a little bit about behavioral science and behavioral economics which i which i know that is something that's really quite close to your heart um should all marketers be required to learn about behavioral science and the work of kahneman Tversky, and thaler wow that's a that's a, three big names that you're throwing <laughs> in the end as well um, I, think, the biggest. I think um i think there's definitely and important in understanding some of the theory. Um, you know, whether that means everybody has to have behavioral or, or, or social science degrees, I, you know, no, because the industry has survived this long and succeeded this long, you know, necessarily w- without that. But I think having some of that base level understanding, I think is really powerful and important to understanding the impact you can have um, you know, I, I was just I just attended, um, I think it was last week now, the, the Nudge Fest for, from Ogilvy, right. um, which, you know, had some fantastic speakers. Um, and even just you know, being able to attend that now because it's virtual, um, whereas normally, you know, it, it, it might cost a little bit of money, um, yeah. but, but also um, might be more challenging to spend a whole day out um, out of the office. I think events like that are able to make some of that behavioural science and some of those principles not only embed them, um, and share the latest insights, but also start to bring them to life as well. And I think that's really important because a lot of marketers um, can uh, can listen to the theory, but actually it's when you see it in practice and working that I think it, it really hits home to them. So I, I'm not sure everybody should uh, be forced to learn behavioral science and, and, and Kahneman and the like, but, um, but I think certainly being shown examples um, and have access to that learning um, yeah. in, in a, in a, sim, in a maybe in a slightly simpler or or relatable way and kind of principles and and theory based way. Um, I think can be really powerful. But but bringing it to life is where we'll see the most impact. Really interesting. Let, let's talk a little bit about choosing and appointing agencies. Uh, selecting an agency partner is one of the most important decisions that a client can make. It's very easy to pick up the phone on the spot and hire a new agency it's far more difficult to find that ideal partner to reshape their approach and their thinking towards marketing that will propel their business forward. What's the best way for clients to choose the ideal agency partner? I think for, for me, um, it's having a, a very clear brief about, about what you want and what you want them to do. Um, that could be, that clear brief could be very general. 
in that they are to support you know your, your entire program or it could be very specific that you have a specific campaign or, or focus for them to be um, so I think that's upfront. You need to know what you're hiring um, because the best agency in the world cannot succeed with a terrible brief. And that's the brutal truth of it. Um, they can, but the likelihood is that, that they won't because you're setting them up to, to not know what success looks like, mm-hmm. um, which is also part of that briefing process. I think then going through that journey of actually finding the right one, I think is uh, is relationships. Um, I've said it already, uh, you know, right up front about um, that we're a people industry and I'm a big believer in that. I think great work comes from um, from from good relationships. And that doesn't mean you have to be best friends. Sure. Some of the best work um, and actually, you know, award nominated work that I've done in, in my career has been with people who I don't necessarily have a personal connection with. Um, and actually, we've we've had arguments over the work, um, <laughs> but the arguments have all been to the betterment of the work. Sure. So you care. That's the focus, exactly. Um, so if you can find people that care and that are willing to speak truth to power, and that's not necessarily something to go against. Now, there's always a line. Um, you know, people can can like speaking truth to power a bit too often and, and not just do as they're asked. Sure. Um, but but I think yeah, it it's knowing the kind of people that you that you want to work with and that you're going to be able to trust um to um and to listen to. Um, I think that's where the collaboration comes that can make really great work that can um, that can deliver on the the clear brief that you set out. So I think, mm. I think brie- briefing and, and relationships breeds successful collaboration. If I was to boil Re- it. Really interesting. Now, as much as agencies would love to hold on to their clients forever, the reality is that clients replace agencies with increasing regularity. What are the most common reasons in your experience why clients and brands do this and, and what can agencies do to protect themselves? I think, yeah, I think there's a couple of things at play. I think one of the reasons that they can stay is is simple inertia um, at times, ju- just as one of the reasons they they leave can be that the grass is always greener. Sure. Um, right. You know, we, we hear about pitch processes where it's really hard to beat out an incumbent. I think there is probably, a, without seeing all the numbers, there's probably a period of time where actually it's really easy to to beat the incumbent because they're they're you know they're, they're potentially stayed and um, and the the client wants wants something fresh. I think the the biggest reason um, outside of those two, I think, can just be um, that that there's that there's need for a change, um, or potentially that the brief has altered, um, you know, and I think. The biggest thing for agencies to do is is also to always keep that door open. Um, you know, I think uh, I've th- thankfully I've not experienced it, but I've I've certainly heard stories of you know um, clients who move on, and, and essentially that that relationship ends up between kind of bad blood and um, and maybe sure. you know uh, however that ends up. Um, mm. You know, essentially that relationship which may have run for years decades even is, is just burnt to the ground um and and that doesn't ben- i don't see how that benefits anybody um you know agencies i think have to accept that um that clients are going to leave and move on um yes that that can have a financial impact when they're a big client um but i think the same should be said of um of of you know staff as well um you know i think that there's also an acceptance that, that people move um whether that's to other agencies or in-house um you know, one of the things that I think Hotwire um, has always done very well, which I think is, if pr- is actually proven by the fact that um, 
I know of a number of people who I, I think some of them are even still there who've left the agency and come back um, sure. because um, and others who you know have left to go in-house and have come back as a client mm. um, and it's I think it's understanding that um, that we are all ultimately people um, and that we it's a relationships industry um, so if you're going to burn one down uh, with with one client because you don't like uh, losing that client um, I think you're you're potentially um, you know biting off your nose to to spite your face because that that could have wider ramifications as as people people move on um, and we we can be a slightly gossipy industry at times as well. Mm, really interesting, Tim. Just bringing the interview to to a close now. Final question before we get into our um, more fun questions towards the back end of the show. Um, t- you mentioned that obviously you we've all been at home for the last three months because of COVID nineteen. I also know that you have a a six year old who you've been homeschooling as well. Uh, it's been a challenging time for everyone that's been affected by COVID nineteen. Um, how have you stayed grounded over that period of time? Gosh, um, cycling is is the honest the honest truth. Um, yeah, I've, I've got a I've got a setup in my garage, yeah, um, and that uh, that few hours a week um, spread over the week that I spend on a on a training bike in my garage by myself, <laughs> listening to podcasts, uh, <laughs> or or just silence on occasion as well when I've been out on the road, uh, have have been invaluable. Um, it just gives me that space to to think, um, to to calm down, to uh, yeah, to to work things out. Um, mm-hmm. And I think certainly for for my family, it's helped them as well because I, I I'm regularly told by my wife that I come back in a in a much better mood if I've been out <laughs> on the bike for a couple of hours on the road as well. Definitely brilliant stuff. Uh, okay, let's get into our favorite questions now. This is our speed round, so I'll fire some questions at you. If you can fire some answers back at me, that would be uh appreciated um which cmo has the most difficult job in marketing right now gosh or which brand i think any 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 high street retailer right now um, mm. i think it's it's really hard just because of the situation we're in um and how they communicate the, that reassurance with customers is is just really tough and getting that balance right, um, as well as actually protecting employees. Because I think that's one thing, another thing we've seen from a lot of customers right now is um, is that need to actually, um, you know, the, the reaction we've had to the NHS and, and to key workers, um, that actually that, that we need to treat our employees how, how we expect our customers to be treated as well. But that wasn't mm-hmm. a very speedy answer. But um, yeah, any, any, any high street retailer, um, I would have the utmost respect for right now because it's not an easy yeah. thing. Yeah, definitely. I think I'm putting too much pressure on you to sort of uh, respond with quick answers. You can <laughs> with any answers. Uh, what's the single biggest thing that you like about working with agencies or working in agencies? And what do you dislike about working with agencies? Gosh, uh, probably, actually, I'm, I'm going to give the same answer for both the clients okay. and the clients. Um, <laughs> I think when certainly when I was in an agency, one of the things I loved most was was the variability. Like I said, being able to work right. for different businesses and jumping in between. Um, but then the other side of it is that that can be intensely stressful at times as well, um, and really feel like you know a, a a yoke on your shoulders that you will never you will never um, express or mm-hmm. so never never be able to escape. 
Um, and then suddenly you get through those, you know, those uh, pinch points and it's, it's, it's open road again to use a, to jump into another cycling analogy. Um, but it's just clear, clear open roads that, that, that are beautiful and wonderful and you can smell the breeze and, um, and it's, and it's lovely again. So yeah, yeah I think the, the clients and the clients when I was an agency are, are the, uh, are the most exciting, but also the most challenging part. That's great. What excites you most about your current role as head of insight for the DMA? I think the exciting times we're in, um, not just coronavirus, but but even before that, you know, I think we're in a, a period of of really interesting change and innovation. Um, I think data is is being used, and there are some really interesting discussions happening around how it can and should be used, um, as well as actually some of the technologies. You know, we've touched on podcasts, which is kind of an evolution of of radio, one of the oldest uh, kind of broadcast mediums sure. there is. Right the way through to, um, to you know audio being implemented in um, in our houses, in our other devices, and being built sure. in. So, I I just think it's a really exciting time to look at how brands and and companies can can engage customers in in new ways through new formats, um, and which will and won't work. I think is um, something that the insight that that I get to kind of produce and see is is really exciting to see over the next mm. few years. Really, really fascinating. And my final question, Tim. What's the single biggest thing that you've yet to achieve that you'd like to achieve in your career? In my career? Gosh, I don't know. Um, being, I don't know. Be, be, being invited to one of these very posh events that I, <laughs> that I, like, to, uh, that I like to go to um, to speak. That, that, I think that would be awesome. Yeah. Um, I thought you were going to say be invited on our, on, on our podcast. Oh, of uh, course. Of course. I mean, this is, this is really a stepping stone. I'm, I'm looking yeah. beyond this now. You know, this, this, was, this was clearly a, a highlight. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think being able to um, being able to to speak on that level, I think, would be something that I'm I'm personally quite ambitious to do. Um, sure. I think being able to continue to develop um, the the insight offering that we have at the DMA um, is something that is kind of ongoing, but is really exciting. Um, I know I know what it is in my personal life because it just got cancelled um, because of coronavirus. Um, but I I had um, I had the objective. Uh, this year of um of cycling the uh what used to be the the chiltern 100 uh, just 100 miles of right. chilterns out near where i live um wow. which is about 160 kilometers uh, with 2000 meters of climbing which is very unpleasant um wow. which instead i'm going to be by myself next week um but that's all to build up for uh, my ultimate goal which is uh, at some point i want to be able to do uh, landing on the ropes um probably uh, before i'm before i'm talking so that is super exciting Best of best of luck. Best of luck with all of that. Super interesting. Tim, thank you very much for being on Client Side. Thanks, Nathan. If you'd like to share any comments on this episode or any episode of Client Side, then find us online at fox.agency. If you'd like to appear on the show, please email Millie at fox.agency. The people that make the show possible are Millie Bell and Natasha Rosich, our booker slash researcher. David Clare is our head of content. Ben Fox is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Client Side from Fox Agency. Join us next time on Client Side, brought to you by Fox Agency.